Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge and Answer One. Their virtual reception service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to handle inbound calls, schedule appointments, and even respond to emails. Check them out at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer the number one.com. And now on to the show. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to the Legal Rebels podcast by the ABA Journal. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and today I'm speaking with Emery Harlan, a 2009 Legal Rebel who co-founded the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms, which provides networking opportunities for in-house counsel and law firms. Welcome to the show, Emery. Thank you, Stephanie. Very happy to be here with you. So I am curious. I feel like when we spoke in 2009, so much has happened in terms of diversity since 2009. Um, Obama was in his first year as president, and uh, Jim Doyle was a governor of Wisconsin. Now we have Donald Trump as president. Your state had Scott Walker, who replaced Jim Doyle. And now your state has another governor, Tony Evers. I'm curious, with the political landscape changing, what has that meant? And what have the changes been over the past decade for attorneys of color? You know, I think, uh, unfortunately, not a whole lot has changed. You know, we um, are still seeing underrepresentation of uh, people of color uh, in the legal space, particularly in private practice. Uh, There still is um, significant underrepresentation in terms of people of color in in in-house positions and senior positions within government. You know, here and there, you know, you'll certainly see instances where uh, there are lawyers of color who are in leadership positions within law firms or, um, you know, occasionally you'll see some appointments of chief legal officers and general counsels. But I think, um, you know, if you were to to survey, you know, people of color in the legal profession, I think the, the general consensus would be that we have um, much progress to go. So I know a part of NAMWF centers on government, minority, and women-owned business contracts. Has the availability of those contracts changed, do you think, in the past decade with the different administrations, both in uh, Wisconsin and in the country? Yeah, so I, I think NAMWF, um, you know, continues to do very good work, and we are seeing an increase in terms of companies that are open uh, and governmental entities that are open to uh, considering diverse lawyers, particularly diverse law firms. So we are seeing some progress on that front, Um, still not where things should be. And um, NAMWF um, is continuing to work with in-house counsel, both in, in terms of governmental agencies and law departments to make them aware of the tremendous uh, wealth of expertise and experience that can be found 
in uh, diverse law firms. And in terms of the availability, are you seeing about the same amount of minority and women-owned business contracts as there was a decade ago? Has it increased or decreased recently or during the decade? You know, I think it's probably stayed about the same. For instance, on the government side, the places that were, you know, working to find opportunities for diverse uh, law firms and minority law firms, I think those states, cities are still doing that. Um, We're not necessarily seeing growth in terms of new jurisdictions that are looking to um, diversify their outside counsel, you know, in terms of who gets the outside counsel assignments. Um, For instance, I know here in Wisconsin, we have an agency, WIDA, that has historically um, been very good in terms of its utilization of uh, women and minority firms. Um, I think over the last six or seven years, they substantially pulled back in terms of how much work they were doing with outside counsel uh, in terms of women and minority firms. And we're hoping uh, during the new administration of Tony Evers that there'll be a reversal of that trend. You mentioned earlier in the show that diversity has stayed about the same in private practice uh, since you were a legal rebel in 2009. And I'm curious, I noticed that there were a handful of firms this year that they had very few women in their new partner classes or maybe none and no people of color. Do you think the firms might be stepping away, some of them, from at least appearing to care about diversity? Yeah, I mean, I think, the, you know, I think the lesson in, in that we can derive or take from diversity inclusion work is that, you know, there needs to be vigilance. Um, there can never be a point when, you know, we can say that we've achieved all that there is to achieve. And I think those recent partnership classes is an indication of that. You know, I think a lot of firms get content, you know, that they've had some success in terms of recruiting uh, diverse lawyers. um, And then they look up and five years later, all the women lawyers that were in the pipeline and and people of color have decamped to in-house positions, government or their own firms. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, in 2018, um, you would see some major firms announcing their partnership classes and having one or no women and no people of color. Um, It's just one of those things that, you know, I've observed through my experience. It requires firms to be vigilant, and it also requires, frankly, the clients of those firms to continue to put pressure on them and to continue to emphasize that one of the things that they take seriously in terms of making outside counsel selection decisions is the diversity of the teams that handle their work. All right. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The Insights from the Edge podcast series brings you the latest legal trends as inside attorneys sit down with industry experts. Stay informed on the latest topics, including our latest episode on five ways to identify the best AI. 
Check out this episode on the legal current from Thomson Reuters to learn how to evaluate AI solutions to ensure you have the best tools for your legal research. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionist. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer the number one.com. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward. And on today's ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, I am speaking with Emery Harlan, who was a 2009 legal rebel. He's also the co-founder of the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. So, Emery, you had a big year in 2018, and that's your old firm, Gonzalez, Sagio, and Harlan closed, right? And you started a new firm, MWH Law Group. Yeah, so the firm closed in 2016, and oh, so, excuse me. Yeah, so 2018, we we've been almost two years. Uh, you know, in, at the end of 2018, um, together, and and many of us um, were together at Gonzalo Saggio and decided that we wanted to work in a minority-owned firm, and decided to. Uh, practice together, and pretty much do the same sorts of things that we were doing at our prior firm. Okay. And Gonzalez Saggio, that was like this Milwaukee's ninth largest firm. And I read that you would like to keep NWH law small. Is that correct? Yeah. So, it's, Stephanie, I wouldn't say that, you know, we've decided that we want to be small. What I would say is that we're not necessarily chasing growth for growth's sake. So since we started this firm, we have grown. It's been, you know, intentional growth in the sense that, you know, we've had clients that have, you know, given us work that can support growth. Um, but we're, we don't have any preconceived notions that, you know, we have to be 100 lawyers by a certain date or anything like that. You know, one of the learnings is that, you know, running a firm, you need to certainly pay attention to the economics of it. Um, you need to to make sure that you have the revenues and the quality of work that will support the the staff and the lawyers that you have. And so that is paramount for us in this new firm. And, um, you know, we're not saying no to growth, but we certainly are only going to grow when the market and the client base um, will support that growth. Can you tell me a bit about what you went through when the firm decided to close and then gathering up people that you enjoyed practicing with and starting all over? Yeah. You know, I talked to, you know, a number of my colleagues kind of dealt with it differently. For me, um, while I had uh, spent the vast majority of my professional career at Gonzalo Saggio, um, I really had no issue transitioning from that firm into a new firm you know, I was obviously sad to see that um, I would no longer be practicing with a number of folks that, who I worked with for a good part of my career. But um, 
I, I didn't feel any great uh, emotional trauma as a result of having to move on to a different firm. Um, you know, I'm very proud of the legacy that the firm leaves. Um, there have been a number of folks who have come through the Gonzalez Agile doors who are at other firms doing well and in major corporate legal departments. Um, you know, we were able to demonstrate that a minority-owned firm could provide high-quality legal services that were competitive with some of the largest firms in the country. And, um, you know, I know that there are other firms that are happen to be minority-owned that are kind of taking the baton and trying to perform in a similar way. And is NWH Law, is that still, for the most part, minority-owned? Yeah, so it is minority-owned. The majority of our lawyers are happen to be lawyers of color. Um, we, Even though we aren't uh, chasing growth, um, we happen to be the largest minority-owned firm in the state. Um, and we're very proud of that. And we're very proud to be a place where we uh, are able to provide opportunities for all lawyers, but in particular lawyers of color, who want to um, represent major corporations and governmental entities. How many minority-owned law firms are in Wisconsin? Well, in in terms of minority-owned firms that do the kind of work that we do, that, in other words, the the majority of their work is representing corporations and governmental entities, I really think there's two. One is uh, a firm that does primarily insurance defense, um, and then one of my colleagues from Gonzalo Saggio, his firm has a Milwaukee office, and I think they're pretty small, about four or five lawyers. Um, so unfortunately, there haven't been as many firms, um, you know, in the last 15, 20 years that have gotten into the space and, you know, taken advantage of some of the opportunities that exist. When you were in the process of setting up your new firm, what were you considering when thinking about who you wanted to practice with and start a business with going forward? Well, you know, I I knew that uh, given that we were going to be a much smaller enterprise, that it was important to have, you know, partners who shared the value set that that I shared and, and understood that in this new model, you know, lawyer productivity was going to be paramount. And also, you know, lawyers who were interested in making sure that uh, women and people of color, you know, had an environment uh, if they so decided that they wanted to work in that environment, but they that they had an environment where they could um, be all that they desired to be. And so that was really what I was looking for in, in terms of, the colleagues who I wanted to work with in this new firm. And, um, you know, fortunately that has, you know, come to bear. Okay. And I want to talk a bit about how you started your legal career. You were a big firm associate in Chicago and you knew that there might be some good opportunities in Milwaukee, which to our listeners who were not in Chicago, like I am. Milwaukee's not very far from Chicago. Um, And you knew that there would be some good opportunities, or you thought there'd be some good opportunities, because you knew that they had had these contracts 
for women and minority-owned businesses. At the time, it was a progressive state, but they didn't have that many lawyers of color in the state at that time. Am I remembering it correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. pretty much um, what attracted me here. Um, <laughs> and actually, the ABA kind of plays a role in that, in, in that when I was in Chicago, I was working at a big majority firm, and the ABA Minority Council Program had uh, been going probably for 10 years or so. And there were a number of lawyers of color who left big firms and started their own firm, and they were getting companies like Aetna and State Farm to send them legal work. Um, While that trend had happened um, in Chicago, it really hadn't happened in, in Wisconsin. Right. And there's probably a lot of competition in Chicago by the time you became a lawyer, right? Right. Or maybe more than there was in, in Milwaukee. Yeah. And, and you, you went to law school at Madison, right? Correct. Yep. I'm a 1989 okay. graduate of uh, University of Wisconsin Law School. I see. What advice would you have for, I mean, considering all your work as an attorney and towards diversity efforts, for young people of color who are thinking about law school, would you? what advice would you have? And I'm curious. I've been told that Madison has a full-ride scholarship for an African-American student. Did you, by chance, get that scholarship? I, I did when uh, the, the school, uh, and it wasn't really just for law students. The school um, had a, a very wonderful program for attracting diverse graduate and professional students. And the law school was part of the university's overall effort in that regard. So I, I was very fortunate. What was to, the program? Um, so in the law school, the program was called um, LEO. That was the acronym. Um, and I think uh-huh. it stood for Legal Educational Opportunities. And so I know the program still exists. Um, my understanding it doesn't have the same level of funding that it had when I was there, um, but there are still students who are attending university who receive um, financial assistance. How did you find out about the program? Uh, through a relative uh, who worked at another university. Um, uh. She had, at her university, worked with uh, a number of minority undergrads, and some of them ended up at the University of Wisconsin. And so I explored the program. Um, you know, I was considering other law schools, and um, like the um, the program at the University of Wisconsin, um, and thought going to a national law school would be in my best interest, given that I didn't exactly know where I wanted to end up. So, um, I ended up going to the University of Wisconsin and probably one of the best decisions that I've, you know, ever made um, professionally. So perhaps that would be one piece of advice for anyone considering law school is to find a good school where you can get some financial help. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult, I think, um, to go to school and take on the kind of debt that a lot of students um, uh, are faced with. So if you can find a school that has a good reputation and is offering some financial assistance, I I would encourage um, students to give that strong consideration in their decision-making process. So what advice would you have in terms of getting started in your career for young lawyers of color? So perhaps the thing that 
took me a long time to appreciate, but since since I did gain an appreciation for it, I've been a big um, practicer of it, which is developing relationships. Um, you know, when you really strip it away um, and you look at what happens um, in law firms, legal departments, um, and in business just generally, a lot of what occurs is based upon relationships that people have with each other. And um, what I would tell a new person embarking upon a legal career is to start where you are and develop relationships with the people that are in your world. Um, So if you're a law student, the folks that you go to law school with, one day they are going to be in a position where they can be a blessing to you in your career And rather than trying to develop a relationship, once they're the general counsel of some company or the chancellor of a university, the best time to build that relationship is when you're three L's hanging out at um, some after-school event (laughs) and to maintain that relationship throughout your career. It doesn't mean that you need to, you know, talk to the person every day. But it means that you are present in their in their world and working to build a relationship of trust that will benefit you down the road. Okay. And that's everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for your time, Emery. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find us, rate us, and subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts. Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, and or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.